Well, it's good to be with you this morning. As most of you know, we're in the middle of a sermon series from the Gospel of John. And today we're going to be talking about vision. We're going to be talking about what it means to truly see Jesus. But before we do that, I want to give you a quick Project 9K update. For those of you who don't know, Project 9K is our Bible reading challenge here at Netherwood Park Church of Christ. We have challenged ourselves, and it's an aggressive challenge, we have challenged ourselves to read at least 9,000 books of the Bible in 2017, and so far to date we have read 758 books of the Bible. So we're on pace, but we're barely on pace, so keep on reading, keep reporting those results, and we'll look forward to the day we, I can stand up here and say we've reached our goal. So keep immersed in the Word. Um, I think it's having a great effect on us as a congregation, and us individually. Uh, Today we are going to talk about vision, but before we do that, let's pray together. Father, our prayer is a simple prayer. Father, we pray that you'll open our eyes to see the light of the world. Father, we pray that you will open our eyes to see the light who gives sight to the blind. Father, we pray that you'll open our eyes so we too can say, I was blind, but now I see. And Father, we pray this prayer through the light of the world, the one who does give sight through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, today we'll be spending all of our time in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of John. So this would be a good time to go ahead and grab a Bible and turn there. The ninth chapter of John. So let's set the stage. Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem. And they're back in Jerusalem. Jesus has chosen to return to Jerusalem. And he's chosen to return there even though the encounters that he's been having with the Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, even though those encounters have become increasingly antagonistic, violent even, To the point that the Jewish leaders have left no doubt about their intent to kill Jesus. And why the antagonism? Why the violence? Why this desire to see Jesus dead? Well, the answer is simple, really. Jesus and the religious leaders just don't see things the same way. Or more, more accurately, they don't see Jesus the same way. As Jesus identifies himself as the bread of life that came from heaven, the religious leaders identify him as the carpenter's son who came from Nazareth. As Jesus identifies himself as the son of man, the religious leaders identify him as the son of Joseph and Mary who came from Galilee. As Jesus identifies himself as the light of the world, the religious leaders identify him as a dark threat to their authority. And as Jesus identifies himself as existing before and above Abraham, the religious leaders simply identify him as a 30-year-old blasphemer who deserves to die. They don't see Jesus in the same way. And things in Jerusalem are really tense. 
So let's walk with Jesus and his disciples into Jerusalem, right into the middle of that tension now. John chapter 9 and verse 1. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Well, the story begins innocently enough, doesn't it? Jesus and his disciples are strolling through Jerusalem. They see a man who can't see. And so his disciples ask him an important religious question. They say, who sinned? We know that question's been asked for a long time, at least since the time of Job until now, that question has been asked, hasn't it? See, a common assumption among people is that bad things only happen to bad people, and good things only happen to good people. And if you believe that the world works that way, if you believe that you can tell a person's spiritual condition by looking at their physical condition, then it makes sense to ask, who sinned? It makes sense to ask, who sinned when you see a blind man? But the world doesn't work that way. Since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, good things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. And bad things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people. Who sinned? Well, since Adam and Eve, all of their descendants have sinned, including the blind man, and including his parents. But their sin isn't what caused this man to be blind. You can't tell a person's spiritual condition by looking at their physical condition. But what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus seizes on this man's physical condition to once more perform a miracle. To once more post a sign. A sign that points to God's power. A sign that points to Jesus' true identity. A sign that seems obvious to those who are willing to see. So Jesus spits in the dirt And he stirs up his saliva in the dust. And he picks up the mud and he rubs it on the blind man's eyes. And then he sends him to the pool of Siloam to wash his face. And the man does exactly as he is told. And he can see. And what do you do if you were born blind and now suddenly and miraculously you can see? Well, I guess you go home. You go home to tell people about it because that's what the man did. And what kind of reception would you expect if you went to your neighborhood? If you had been blind your entire life and you go back to your neighborhood and now you can see. What kind of reception would you expect when you walk into your neighborhood forever changed? Someone who was blind but now can see. Well, I'm not sure what kind of reception this man expected, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't the kind of reception he got. The way that the neighborhood receives the man is a little bit comical, and it's more than a little bit sad. Verse 8, his neighbors 
And those who formerly had seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was, and others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Well, it seems like this poor man has gone from being blind to being invisible. His neighbors are talking about him like he isn't even there. They're arguing about him like he isn't even present. See, many of them can't believe what their eyes are telling them. They can't believe that this man can now see. That rings true, doesn't it? I mean, that seems to be human nature. Once we have someone labeled, once we have someone categorized, once they are known as the blind man... It's often really hard for, our, for us to accept that they have actually changed. Hard for us to accept that they might actually have a new identity. In fact, you need to understand that if you really change because you have encountered Jesus, you need to be prepared. And don't be surprised if people have a hard time believing that you have really changed But you also need to be prepared to tell why you changed and how you changed and who changed you. You need to be prepared to point to Jesus just like this now seeing man does. On to verse 10. How then were your eyes opened, the neighbors demanded. And he replied, well, the man they called Jesus made some mud and he put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. And they brought him to the Pharisees. They brought the man who had been blind. And now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. And right there we should say, "Uh uh-oh. So you may not sense it, but our story just changed dramatically. The tension in our story just returned. A critical piece of evidence has just been introduced into our story, and we can be sure that the Pharisees aren't going to like it. Jesus healed the blind man on a Sabbath day. That doesn't sound like that big of a deal, does it? But I promise you, it was a huge deal, especially to the Pharisees. You should think of the Pharisees as self-appointed Sabbath police. Self-appointed Sabbath police, they're there to enforce the Sabbath rules. And their zeal for the Sabbath is well-intentioned. Because God made it very clear that the Sabbath was to be kept holy. God made it very clear that there were six days for labor, but one day, the seventh day, the Sabbath day, that was for rest. And over the centuries, a lot of time and effort and argument and discussion had gone into defining what was allowed and what was not allowed on the Sabbath. There was this complex set of rules that had grown up. The Sabbath rules. And breaking those rules was serious business. The most religious of the Jews, 
people like the Pharisees. They believe that the Sabbath rules were the key to the kingdom of God. In fact, they believe that if every Jew would keep the Sabbath perfectly on just one Sabbath, that the kingdom of God would be set into motion. And believe it or not, one of those Sabbath rules was that no healing could take place on the Sabbath. No healing. So when the people see what Jesus has done, there is a problem. When the seeing man told about Jesus giving him sight, many of the Pharisees don't see a miracle. They don't see a sign. And they don't see a sign pointing to a miracle worker. Instead, all they see is a broken rule that points to a rule breaker. Verse 15. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked the man who had been born blind how he had received his sight. He's probably getting tired of telling the story, but he tells it again. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man, they're talking about Jesus, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others ask, how can a sinner do such a marvelous sign? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, he is a prophet. Well, the Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, so they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? And how is it that he can now see? Well, we know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. And his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. I'm not sure these parents are going to qualify as parents of the year. They don't seem overjoyed by their son's returned sight. They don't seem overjoyed that their son can see. They don't seem to appreciate what Jesus has done for their son. They're not overjoyed. And they're not appreciative because they are afraid. In fact, actually, I believe they're terrified. And they're terrified because they have to make a choice. See, they can either acknowledge the fact that Jesus did this and affirm who Jesus is, or they can continue to be accepted into the synagogue. They can't have both. It's one or the other, not both. And that may not seem like such a big deal to us. It may not seem like such a difficult choice to us, but it was a big deal. It was a difficult choice for them. You see, the synagogue was everything in Jewish life. 
It was central to their lives. It was the focal point of their religious lives. It was the focal point of their cultural lives. It was the focal point of their social lives. So this was a threat that had real teeth. It had real consequences. Being kicked out of the synagogue was very serious business. And the now seeing man's parents just can't bring themselves to face life without the synagogue. So they shrug their shoulders and they point to their son and they say, ask him. The parents choose to be blind to who Jesus is and what he has done. And our story continues, verse 24. A second time, the religious leader summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man. They're talking about Jesus. We know this man is a sinner. And he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answers with a fair amount of frustration, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear again? Do you want to become his disciples too? So what did they do? Well, they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answers, Well, that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Wow. It's a powerful story. Do you you catch what happened there? Do you see the man's progression? Do you see what happened when the Pharisees pushed this man who can now see? Well, the seeing man pushed right back. Well, this was an argument the Pharisees were sure that they could win. Because after all, they are the religious experts. They are the religious leaders. And we, the religious experts, we know that Jesus is a sinner. And the man pushes right back. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I just know that I was blind and now I can see. How do you argue with that logic? And since logic isn't on their side, the Pharisees revert right back to the playground. What do they do? They start hurling insults. But I don't think insults are going to work. Think about it. What names can you come up with that will hurt the feelings of someone who's been a blind beggar for their entire life? And the best insult that they could come up with is, you are Jesus' disciple. 
And you could almost hear a flip, a flip being switched, a switch being flipped. The man saying, maybe I am his disciple. The man thinking, if Jesus isn't from God, he wouldn't have been able to make me see. They treated him like Jesus' disciple. They threw him out of the synagogue. And they threw him out of the synagogue because they, the religious experts, the religious authorities, they threw him out because they were losing this argument. An argument with a formerly blind beggar. Because how do you argue with, I was blind, but now I see? How do you argue with that kind of witness? See, I think this is one of the most encouraging stories in all of the Bible. Encouraging because I'm convinced that we can all be that same kind of witness. The kind of witnesses that say, I was enslaved, but thanks to Jesus, I'm now free. The kind of witnesses that can say, I was blind, but thanks to Jesus, I can now see. See, the most effective testimony about Jesus begins with the word, I. It begins with the word, I. It's about me. But really, it's about what Jesus has done for me and through me. We can be that kind of witness. We can be that kind of witness because God consistently uses our weaknesses to demonstrate his strength. How does God show his power? Well, he shows his power by making a blind man see. How does he show his power? He shows his power by making a timid person bold. He turns a sheep into a shepherd. He turns an atheist into an elder. He turns a prostitute into a Bible class teacher. He turns an addict into an evangelist. God uses our weaknesses to show his strength. The formerly blind man says it right when he says, if this man was not from God, he could do nothing. I find this story encouraging. I find it encouraging because it holds the key to the way that we're able to effectively testify for Jesus. Truly, the most effective testimony about Jesus does begin with the word, I. I was blind, but now I see. Pointing to Jesus. I was lost, but now I'm found. Pointing to Jesus. I was enslaved, but now I'm free. Pointing to Jesus. The most effective testimony begins with the word I. That's why this is such an encouraging story. But it's also a story that comes with a word of caution. And the word of caution is about fear. When we look at the seeing man's parents, we learn something very important about fear. We get a warning about fear. See, his parents, they saw the miracle of the sight that was given to their son. 
but they failed to truly see Jesus. And the reason that they didn't see Jesus was because they were afraid. They won't acknowledge what Jesus has done. They won't affirm who Jesus is because they are afraid of the consequences. They're afraid of what they might lose. And because they're afraid of what they might lose, they lose sight of what they will gain. See, nothing kills testimony for Jesus like fear. Fear blinds us to the miracles. Fear keeps us from reading the signs. And like the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 men from a few loaves and a few fish, this story is all about miracles and signs. And once more, we see that miracles are only seen as as signs that point to Jesus by those who are ready to actually see Jesus. Those signs. They're only seen by the people who aren't afraid to see them. Miracles are only seen as signs that point to Jesus by those who are ready to accept, who aren't afraid to accept what Jesus has done and acknowledge what he is doing and who he is. See, in this story, many people in Jerusalem, they saw the miracle but only one man read the sign. And that was the formerly blind beggar. For this now seen man, I was blind, but now I see that points directly to the Messiah. And he fell down in worship. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. I was blind, but now I see pointed straight to the Messiah. But for the Pharisees, the story was very different. For the Pharisees, the story was the beggar was blind, but now he sees. And that just pointed to problems. Pointed to problems with the Sabbath. It pointed to problems with the Sabbath rules. It pointed to problems with their understanding of God's kingdom. They couldn't read the sign because they were too busy seeing all of the problems and for the parents it told a different story for the parents the story was our son was blind but now he sees and for them that pointed not to Jesus but it pointed to their fear their fear of the problems that would come if they acknowledged Jesus For them, they couldn't read the sign because they were too busy seeing their fear. And so like the Pharisees, they rejected Jesus. They rejected Jesus because they voluntarily chose to be blind. They chose not to read the sign. So we have to ask ourselves, do we truly see Jesus? Are we properly reading the signs 
And our quick answer is probably, of course we see Jesus. Of course we are reading the signs. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here this morning, right? Otherwise, we'd be somewhere else on a Sunday morning, all those other places where we could be. Well, one way to think about this story is to think about it as a vision test. The seen man and his parents and the Pharisees and us, we all look at the same sign. All have the same miracle and the one who performed it right in front of us. But it's the seen man who passed the test. Not because he was the only one who saw the sign, but because he was the only one who was willing to change his life. Who was willing to change his thinking. The only one who changed his belief and changed his allegiance when he saw what that sign pointed to. See, truly seeing Jesus is to believe in Jesus. It's to faith in Jesus. It's an action. It's putting our belief into action. Our faith in action means that we follow Jesus wherever he goes, wherever he might lead us, whatever the consequences, whatever the problems, no matter our fear. It's living the word in the world. See, when we truly see Jesus, it forces us to make decisions. It forces us to take actions. And often those are tough decisions and those are difficult actions. Because if we really see Jesus for who he is and for what he has done, then we need to be prepared for all kinds of trouble there'll be things that we care about that we may be kicked out of because Jesus simply isn't welcome there and there will be things that we value that we may have to leave because Jesus isn't allowed there so as we end I want us to ponder what is that kind of vision worth the kind of vision that truly sees Jesus for who he is and what he has done. What value will we place on truly seeing Jesus? I want you to think of it this way. See, we look at the parents in this story and we think, you know, is getting kicked out of the synagogue really so bad? Is getting kicked out of the synagogue really so bad when you have a Savior who's standing there who can give sight to the blind? Is that really so bad? But then we have to make it personal. Is losing our reputation really so bad when we have a Savior who could give sight to the blind? Is losing our wealth really so bad when we have a savior who can give sight to the blind is really losing your job is that really so bad when you have a savior who can give sight to the blind is losing your family really so bad when you have a savior who can give sight to the blind is losing your health really so bad 
when you have a Savior who can give sight to the blind? And is even losing your long life really so bad when you have a Savior who can give sight to the blind? You can fill in the blank. Is losing whatever it is that's important to you, is that really so bad when you have a Savior who can give sight to the blind? Let's pray. Father, we repeat our simple prayer. Open our eyes to see the light of the world. Open our eyes to see the light who gives sight to the blind. Father, open our eyes to Jesus. So we too can stand up and boldly say, I was blind, but now I see. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we end, let's stand up and let's worship the light of the world. Let's worship Jesus.